Okay, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time because today we're going to finish our class with a bit of a cliffhanger. It's just, it's, he doesn't write it in like neat chapters. It's kind of like flows into itself. This is the old school learning medieval, you know, commentators that we've shown him. This is just the way they write. Um, so we're going to really three different themes we'll be focusing on today, two short themes, and then we'll conclude with a question, a very big question, which we'll then spend some time addressing in a future class. Okay, so... With that introduction, let's begin. Vim uh, So, So let's just quickly recap what we've been studying until now. Essentially, he's been grappling with the question, the question, capital T-H-E, underline, underline, the question of why bad things happen to good people, why good things happen to bad people, how we understand these things. And he spent quite some time giving us a theory to help us understand to the best of our ability, uh, a general theory of understanding, of broadening our perspective. You know, if I were to sum up his theory very, very, very un- un- unjustly, a little bit too succinctly, we would say that by recognizing that when we ask the question, we are looking only at a small picture and not the full picture, that addresses a significant part of the question. We see not only this world, but the next world, that already causes much of the question to fall away. He also explains that most of why these difficult things happen to us, at least for those who are not, you know, why most bad things happen, most of that is for the sake of uh, uh, taking away some of our, uh, the punishment that we would get in Gehenna, and that allows for this change of perspective that when we're going through difficult times, again, practically, don't tell this to someone when they're going through a difficult time. It's not going to be uh, the most helpful. Hold that thought for one second. Sorry, if anyone here has a white Corolla, I just need to yeah, pause for a moment. Okay, and... okay. thank you. Sorry. Okay, so sorry. Like <laughs> okay, thanks so much. Sorry. Okay. Um, okay, so... Um, yeah, so basically we've spoken about suffering, though ultimately mitigating some of the punishment in Gehenna. We, and we spent a lot of time, we're not going to, again, I can't rehash all that we've discussed, but now he's going to ask a question based on everything we've been discussing. And, and one last point actually in the recap, and that is that although we've explained a lot, we also recognize that doesn't help us understand each particular situation, right? It doesn't address everything. It gives us some general principles to know there is justice in the world, but it doesn't address everything. Okay. With that in mind, let's read this next paragraph. Vim tishal. And if you will ask, kivan sheyesh inyan ne'elam mishpat. Since at the end of the day, there, is, there are elements of God's justice which is hidden from us. And we ultimately are forced to believe. Believe without fully understanding. In God's righteousness, through the fact that he is this true judge. So he says, no matter what, no matter how much we explain, no matter how many books and courses we take in understanding God's justice, and there are other books that will explain different elements there's always going to be an element which is not fully explained that we're going to have to believe. Believe in the sense that we don't fully understand, but we believe that God is just. So if that's the case, lama tatriach osanu lilmod hatainos shepirashno. If that's the case, then why bother? Right? It's a fair question. Like, why are we doing this? And the truth is, you know, he's going to give an answer. But there are those who take this question and say, you're right. We shouldn't have any, all these discussions. You know, there is a, a, a line of thinking where people discourage these types of questions, just say, we believe, we believe, we believe. The Ramban, as you'll see, does not take that approach. But there is, and it's probably a bit more of a modern approach. Um, and by modern, I mean the past like 200 or so years, where basically we say, look, we believe in God, and therefore we believe it's all just, and we're not going to ask any questions. The Ramban saying, maybe we should go down that road. Since no matter what, we're always going to come to some point 
Well, we're just simply not going to be able to fully reach it. You know, my, the, the vision, you know, the, the imagery that, that I always think of when we think of these types of things is, is the, the image in like the Sistine Chapel, right? Where, you know, man is reaching out to God and there's that gap. There's always going to be a gap. No matter how far we go, we will never, we'll be grasping our whole life, but we'll never fully close that gap, right? And if that's the case, then why even bother grasping? Let's just sit back, know that we don't fully understand everything, and accept that, which again is a line of thinking that some argue for. We're wasting our time, just say we believe and go with it. But he doesn't like that. He says, This is a claim of fools, people who hate, who hate, uh, who hate wisdom. Another? One more. Silver Honda Civic. Okay, thank you everyone. I'm sorry. We have a lot going on in our, in our driveway today. <laughs> that would have been nice. Okay, thank you everyone. Okay, so he says this argument, this question is the claim of fools, people who despise wisdom. He says, why? First of all, I, I love the, you know, the rabbis of the past didn't mince words. You know, every section of the Talmud, if they don't like what you said, Oh, they, they, you know, you're not going to get off easy, right? So he says, that, that argument, that's an argument of fools, okay? He says, everything we've been studying, even though it's true, we don't have all the answers, but there's a benefit. Because in doing so, we become more knowledgeable about God, right? And his ways, right? So first of all, let's just pause there because that's such a critical point. We're here on earth, and we believe in God, but, and we know we're never going to fully understand God, but we want to have a relationship with God. It behooves us to try our best to understand him as much as we can. How else can we have a relationship? And again, we'll never fully understand it, but frankly, we never fully understand any human being. So, you know, Kol Shekane, because certainly we'll never understand God anywhere close to that. But to just say, I just believe, isn't that, isn't that diminishing our relationship with God? We want to understand him as much as we can, because the more we understand him, the more we know about God's methods of interacting with the world, that is knowing about God, right? The more I know about your daily activity, the more I know about you, right? And the more I know about your thought processes, the more I know about you. So the more we know about God's thought processes, the more we know about him and the better relationship we have. So yes, it's true. We will not fully understand everything, but if anyone here is interested in a relationship with God, we have to try to understand him as best as we can. That's number one. Number two, he says, and also, by knowing what we do know, it helps us appreciate what we do not know. We will learn the, what is hidden from that that's explained. To know how God is ultimately just and that there's justice in the world. And what he's saying is that if I could recognize justice, in 90% of the situations, or even 80%, or even 75%, for the 25% of the time, I could say, okay, I don't get that, but that's okay. If I see, right, the same way, you know, when you have a good friend who always acts, you know, in a, in a kind way to you, and one day something happens, what do you do, hopefully? You judge them favorably, right? Because if all of you, if it's a stranger and you don't know them and they do something to you, like, I don't know, maybe they're just a terrible person, right? But if it's a good person, a nice person you always interact nicely with, and sometimes things happen and like, wait, what was that all about? But the context is important. And so therefore, the more we are able to appreciate God's kindness in the world, the more we're able to see that, that helps us in those circumstances where we don't understand him. And so what that means practically for us, if we can make it practical for a second, that means that it, it, it's incumbent upon us 
you know, to wake up every morning and, and say things like Moda Ani and to appreciate the goodness in the world and to spend time every day thinking about the good, we know that we're going to reach times where it's going to be difficult for us. We know there are going to be times where we're going to have questions. The more we build up and think about and recognize how much of the world is good and much of our life is good, the more we're able to do so, the more we'll be in a better position to deal with those situations where we don't fully understand. So again, this is argument number two, why, it's a, why it would be silly not to spend time trying to understand how God runs the world. We need to be able to understand a good part of the picture. And in doing so, it helps us understand we have questions that don't have answers. So again, one, it helps us in our relationship with God. And we want to have a relationship with God. The only way you have a relationship with someone, you can't have a relationship with someone you don't know, right? It's just not going to work. So if you want to have a relationship with God, we have to know him as best as we can. B, it helps us practically in circumstances when things don't seem to make sense. Okay, let's go further. And so this is the obligation of every creature, everyone who's created, who wants to serve God with love and with fear, to like investigate with their minds, to, to justify or to acknowledge God's justice, and to, and to acknowledge and to verify God's justice in the world, as much as we're able. Okay? And, and the way to do so is by learning the different things we've learned until this point. And so that our, our mind is able to be calmed somewhat in this matter. And we should, again, that God's justice will be able to be true to us, we'll be able to understand it. And, and what will happen is then when we find difficulties, we'll be able to say, okay, God is ultimately just. And even if we don't fully understand, we'll put it in that box. Again, so just to recap what he said until now, he says that this, you know, why are we spending our time trying to understand God? One, we want to have a relationship with God. You know, what do we know about God? We can't even think of, like, think, you know, when we're kids, we have, like, an image maybe of, like, some man with a long beard or whatever it is. We're not, even, that's, that's, we're not allowed to do that, right? I and mean, as we get older and more sophisticated, we have nothing. Right? What do we have? What, when we talk about having a connection to God, how do I have a connection to God if I can't even imagine an image, right? And so what he's suggesting is that if we want to have a relationship with God, the more we think about, the all we have in the most direct connection we have with God is, is the God of history and the God that inter- and the God who manages history and our own personal history, our own personal life. The more we think about how God connects to our life and manages the world, that's our connection point. There's nothing we could touch and feel. We could connect to God through history and therefore we get to know God better and B, it helps us by thinking about that, it helps us also in times of difficulty. To not spend time, he says, thinking about this, he says it's foolish, it's lim- it limits yourself and it doesn't seem like a, an appropriate approach. That says, that said, look at the last line of the paragraph. But if one wants, if a person wants, for whatever reason, they want to be foolish and just put their mind here. In other words, say, I just believe. He says, okay, you're ultimately allowed to just say blindly, I believe. You're allowed to do so. Because ultimately he acknowledges our explanations don't fully work. So he's saying it's not forbidden to just go with this philosophy of saying we just believe in God. He just thinks it's a really dumb thing to do. So 
pick your, pick your path. Um, but, you know, just to simply say, I believe without spending time understanding God, we could do it, but we'd be missing out. We'd be missing out in our own personal life, missing out in our relationship with God. Okay. Now, this next, fine. So now we're, gonna, we're going to, almost like an addendum to this last section before we jump into a new section. And this addendum, he quotes the Rambam, Maimonides, something that he writes in Moronavuchim, a very interesting observation. I'd be very curious to hear your, your reaction to this observation, okay? So let's see what the Rambam writes, okay? So now we're at the second uh, Hebrew paragraph and the second English paragraph. Uchvar batel harbe minamechgar hazeh. Okay, and much of this investigation has already been, uh, you know, annulled or, or, or responded to. Harav HaGadol Zecher Tzadik Levracha, the great rabbi. Who's the great rabbi? Maimonides, the Rambam. B'tai Nosav, with his arguments, B'perek Shtem Asar, in the 12th chapter, Misefer Mora HaNevuchim, in the 12th chapter, Mora HaNevuchim. Amar, he said as follows. Again, and what's the question we're dealing with is why is there so much bad in the world to good people? So he says, Amar Zechron Levracha, he, a blessed memory, said, Ki alev He says, it, it enters the heart of many of the masses. Ki yos That there is more bad than good in the world. Let's pause. I shouldn't have even read that. What do you think? Right? Right? I, you know, many, do we think that there's more bad? I don't know how to, exactly to summarize these things. But what's our impression? Is there more bad happening in the world or is there more good happening in the world? Is there more suffering in the world or is there more pleasantness in the world? Thoughts? I feel like it's a trick question now because of what he just said, but that's okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's that's fair. There's more good in most people's hearts. I think they have boundaries. There's good with the people they know and bad with the people they don't. Okay. But ultimately, more good. Thoughts? Disagreements? Any ideas? It's the very from person to person. Okay. Some people have seem to have a lot more good, and some people seem to have a lot more bad. Okay. Okay. I guess we're looking at the an aggregate. You know, the the big picture. Like, what's the big picture? And of course. You know, our generation, some of that gets skewed, as we know, because anyone who watches the news, the news doesn't care to tell us the good news. It's not newsworthy. I get it. It's not, I have no claim against them, but we're bombarded with all the bad stuff that are happening. And whereas our ancestors were bombarded, or maybe they went to the fish market and they heard about the bad thing happening, you know, within their 10 block radius of the little shtetl, we get to hear the bad news everywhere. And if something bad's happening in the moon, we also get to hear. Like, we get to hear all the bad news compressed in little sound bites, and so we're definitely skewed in terms of, we have a bias toward, you know, and thinking that there's a lot of bad. It's not necessarily the case. But he says, like, he's going to take it even further. He's, he acknowledges that there is suffering in the world, and there's, there's war, and there's, you know, and, and there's famine, and, and a lot of these things. But he makes the following point. Okay, so he says, many people, their gut reactions say there's much more bad in the world than good. He says, Vapagaim, vachalaim, vamechsholos, and all the injuries and sicknesses and, and stumbling blocks, Yerlehem, they, they appear to the person, to people, that our existence is ultimately a evil or, or, or you know, a damaged existence. And he explained, He says, most evil that happens in the world, Most of the evil and bad that happens in the world comes from a lack of knowledge or our We'll use the clean, the nice word foolishness or stupidity, frankly. Okay? He explains. He, sorry? And evil. And, and evil, but he's going to explain. Well, yes, evil. But, but in other words, let's, again, what's he coming to? He's coming to address why is God, why is God doing, why is God allowing good people to suffer? And what he's ultimately going to answer, as we see, is that 
much of what's taking place in the world that is evil or bad and, and, and negative comes from people. They're man-made. They're man-made, right? Ultimately, we do believe in free will, right? Ultimately, we do believe that God allows for, you know, people to make choices. And so what the Rambam is asking us to do is to think, okay, big picture, there is suffering in the world. But if we were to start to categorize suffering in the world, both on a global scale and on a personal scale, where does much of that suffering come from, right? So there are natural disasters, Again, even that we could debate, is that caused by man? Okay, good question. You know, are we causing some of these natural disasters? It's a good question. Interesting question, right? Important question. Um, but certainly wars, you're going to blame God for the wars? I mean, yes, God could intervene 100%. But bottom line is that God gave us free will. And there are evil people and people chose, choose to do evil and, and bring about that suffering. And that's on a global scale. Let's bring it on a personal scale. You know, I had a, there, there was an article written years ago by a rabbi who took a tally once. I don't know if I should share that. I'll share this. Anyway, he took a tally once of, of all the people who came through his office over the course of like a few months, and he put it into two boxes. One was, and they, you know, if they came, usually people don't come to, to you know, tell you they have a mouth stuff. They tell you whatever, whatever's going on in the world, negative, that, difficult things. And there are two boxes. One was the things that were caused by themselves or people around them, and one was the, were the things that were caused by God, so to speak. And what he found was the, old, the, the vast majority was caused by people. Right? There's illnesses, certain things are, 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 are God-made, right? But many of our sorrows, many of our difficulties are man-made, are caused by people, right? And that's the Rambam's argument. His argument is to say, wait a second, even if it's true that there is a lot of suffering and difficulty in the world, which we're not even sure if there, but even if it's true, there is a lot of it, let's also move out of the way. If we're asking the question, why is God allow, you know, causing bad to happen to good people? Well, we also have to realize that there's free will, and a lot of it is caused, much of it is caused by man, right? We can't ignore that point. And that's what he's getting at over here. He says, Uperish, he explains, Ki rov adam. Most of the bad that happens to man, adam ba'adam. It's like people damaging people. Kigona ketatos, like arguments. Vamalchamos, or on a global scale, wars. Obinizke adam lenafsho, or people hurting themselves. Literally means the soul, but even their body. Kirova taiva. A person is involved in, in, in gay, immersed in, 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 in physical pleasures, whether it's eating, intimacy, whatever it's going to be, it catches, it hurts, it impacts a person. You can't eat endlessly and say like, hey, what's, let, let's see how he says, he says, he says it right. He says, um, He says, it's not appropriate for someone to go to war and they're throwing arrows at him. The only thing you could really be crying out for is God save me over here. But you can't say, God, why are you doing this to me? Well, you just put up, you know, you just grabbed a gun and you went into war. Like, what, who, who are you, who is your claim against, right? Or someone who eats a lot, who eats the wrong foods, foods which are bad for them, and they become sick, right? They become, they become ill. It's like, God, why are you causing me these? Well, you're lactose intolerant. Stop going to have ice cream. I mean, like, what are you doing to yourself? Okay, that's a benign example. But the point is, you know, how much of our pain is caused by us. Okay, this is uh, more ancient medicine, but, but there's this notion that someone who is engaged in intimacy constantly, uh, at least in the ancient world, as far you know, would cause blindness, okay? But the bottom line is that so often people are causing the pain to themselves. The only thing that, that is causing this is their foolishness. 
And we find people who endanger themselves. They go into the deserts and to the oceans. Just to have more than their neighbors. Right? Think about all the danger that people involve themselves, the endless hours. You know, I, I, you know, I have no family life, but they're also going, working so much extra. You know, like, well, you're doing this to yourself, right? So what, what things are man-made and what things are God-made? Uh, and, and, and all these bad things happen, and people go and complain over their luck. And they, and they are bewildered over their mazel. And God does not create miracles. God will not perform miracles for Mishugaim or people who are crazy over their foolishness. So you can't do something foolish and say, God, like, why are you allowing me to all these bad things happen? Well, you just traveled across the desert, which is extremely dangerous, or whatever the modern day example of that would be. But how much of it is us putting ourselves in difficult situations? How much of it is God? That is the Rambam's point, okay? Um, and he just, let's finish this, this, uh, this, this, this thought, okay? The Otashuv Tira Behem, next page. And he says, and further you find among them, Kimisha Asaf bin Amamon De Sapko, you see people who have sufficient assets, sufficient money. And they find themselves, even though they have enough to survive and enough to live comfortably, but they see their neighbor who is living so much more comfortably, right? And they, and, and they see that and they're all upset over their mazel. He says this is, comes from a place of a lack of midos, a lack of proper way of thinking, right? This is like almost like a, a parenthetical point. He says, a person who gains more wealth. You don't gain anything for yourself. What is wealth to you? Ultimately, you're, 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 you're just acquiring more emptiness or things which are going to cause you more trouble. A person who's lacking in these extras they're not missing anything. A person who gains more doesn't gain. A person who has less doesn't lose. You know, there's actually some fascinating studies. Uh, you know, uh, the past few decades, there's been a lot of studies about happiness. You know, the whole, whole movement in psychology, uh, you know, the positive psychology and happiness, studying a lot about happiness. And what they found ultimately, I don't remember the numbers, and I'm sure it's changed with inflation, but, but there's like a certain spot of, of wealth where you're not like impoverished, but you're not necessarily wealthy. Once you cross a certain threshold, the happiness level is exactly the same between someone who crosses that threshold and someone who has millions and millions of dollars. Does not make a difference. And that's exactly his point over here. And again, it's a parenthetical point, but he's saying, it's, why are we driving ourselves crazy? Why are we working so hard? And, why, and, and endangering ourselves or endangering our family life or endangering relationships, why are we doing this? Because of something which makes no sense. And he says, it's not gonna make you more happy. And, and he was ahead of his time. It doesn't. You know, you co- winning the lottery does not make a person happier. It's been tried, proven, and shown. Again, you cross a certain threshold. It's a pretty low, I remember the numbers. It was a pretty low number. Um, but once you get to a point where you're comfortable, where you're comfortable, having an- another 100,000 doesn't do it. It doesn't change. I mean, none of us would complain if we got another 100,000. Don't get me wrong. But the point is that if we think it's going to make us happier, we're incorrect. Okay, and that's what the Rambam and the Ramban is, is, is amplifying. Bir od sham. He explains further. So we'll just read these next two paragraphs and we'll, then we'll summarize. Ki merubos me'od. He says, the good that is needed in the world is abundance. And much of it is found in, in all places. 
basic food necessities exist in the world. And the world is not lacking from its needs. Okay? So, and, and think about it. Even in countries where there is, uh, where there is great need, where there is poverty, you, know, uh, uh, you know, whether there's famine or whatever it is, very often, very often what you find is that there are a select, elite few who actually are living incredibly comfortable. And if there is a little bit more sharing there wouldn't be that same level of impoverishment, right? Similar to nowadays, we, you know, it's, it's been, again, documented by others who point out that, you know, now with travel, we could support many countries with much food, etc. Granted, they might not have it immediately there, but there's enough, abu- we know we have abundance, right? The amount of, of, of food that goes in our garbage cans just on my own block alone is, is, stack, is, is, is mind-blowing, right? So my, my, my grandmother, Holocaust survivor, I remember once went to a Pesach hotel, she, it was, it was overwhelming for the amount of wasted, you know, it's a hotel with kosher, you know, basically it's like a nonstop restaurant, right? The amount of wasted food, like endlessly. And she was like beside herself. She was just like crying. She couldn't deal with all the waste, but that's her life, right? So there's no shortage of food. There's shortage of distribution. There's shortage of, 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 uh, you know, there's, there's an abundance of corruption, right? But is there enough basic resources to support the world? The short answer is yes. And although there's discussion about, you know, are we overpopulating the world? Some of that's been debunked. You know, we could probably support ourselves pretty comfortably if we would figure out how to do so in a better fashion. That's what the Rambam over here is saying. Again, if our point is, God, why are you doing all this evil? It's so bad in this world. Is that true? Natural resources exist. The basic things are there. The basic necessities, what's needed in the world is not lacking. What's missing is the extras. What's more than our needs? Like special jewels. And he says that you're only found in certain places. And he says, and why are they only found in certain places? It's an interesting question. Let's pause for a second, right? He's saying, why is it that gold and certain jewels are only found in certain places? We just take it for granted. We never ask that question, but let, let's, let's put ourselves in God's shoes, so to speak. Why would God ensure that there are jewels, only like special, special pri- precious jewels, only in, in very unique places and gold and silver only in limited places? Okay. That's what we need, right? So he says from, from, from let's think about it. From God's perspective, you know why there's so few of them? Because we don't need it. We don't need it. He says what we need, there's a lot of water, there's water, okay? Sometimes you have to travel with the water, but there's water. Basic food, there's food. You know why there's so few precious gems? And again, that increases their value, we get it, but let's try to go from God, because we don't need those things, okay? You can still buy yourself a gold. Now, 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 he's not saying these things are bad. Again, I want to be clear. He's just pointing out, if our point is to accuse God, it's just such an interesting, fresh, I don't know, it's just such a fresh and unique observation. If, if the thinking is, you know, what about, you know, from, from God's perspective, why did God create the world in a certain way? which is a question we don't always ask ourselves. Why does God create so few precious things? Because he is, does, he knows we don't need it. Yes? Correct. And I want to be clear. So yes, it's, it doesn't, I'm not suggesting that we, if, if our society, you know, if this is a norm, then by all means, and you're right, meaning it becomes like already a thing and people look and point and say, hey, why is this person, why, why exactly, why, why are there these differences? 1,000%, 1,000%, 1,000%. But, but, but that's, but who made that? Like who, who creates those standards? We do it to ourselves. If we were all to decide right now, all of us here, another, you know, everyone on our shoulder decide, we are no longer uh, wearing jewelry or, you know, whatever. I don't know, you know, you create a culture. I mean, good luck. I mean, it's going to take a little more to work. But the point is that 
you're right. We created a culture where these things become normal. But the Rambam's point is like, who says? You don't need it. You don't need it. I'm sorry? You could do without it, exactly, exactly. It would be that the question is being asked from the wrong perspective because these things are valuable precisely because they're so rare. In other words, in the 19th century, aluminum was very hard to extract from bauxite, which is a mineral. So it became very valuable because it was rare and scarce. So if you want to have um, aluminum ring or whatever, that would cost you $10,000. Now it probably cost you a dime. Right. But in other words, the very scarcity uh, economically means that there is a lot of people who want it and the price would normally go up by supply and demand. That's just another way Correct, correct. And, and I don't think he's, he's, he's not, I mean, he's always coming from two different dimensions. Right, so absolutely. From an economic perspective, scarcity causes the price to rise. Right. From a divine perspective, scarcity is a reflection of what our true needs are. If there's not a lot of something, maybe there's a reason for that. That's, that's, that, right. But those two, those two are not in conflict. Right, right, absolutely. Well, they are. Right, 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 right. That's true. That's true. For coming from it, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. There is there is a there is a conflict. They, they don't. Yes, there is a there, there is a big conflict. You're absolutely right. Okay. Last paragraph over here. All of this must be thought about uh, for those who are thinking people. To understand the rightfulness, the, the the righteousness and the goodness of God in this world. And to recognize the ultimate goodness to his creatures. Okay, so meaning, to, uh, to, to think about, so just what does he mean to think about? Like he spoke about last week, when God showed Eov, when God showed Job, the fact that the, the animal kingdom survives and thrives. Okay, there is a survival of fitness, but there's, a, there's, a, there's an animal chain, there's a food chain. But ultimately, animals have their food. Right? The bird, look outside. The birds have their food. The foxes have their food. The deer, everything is, everyone's being fed. Everyone is getting what they need. Everyone is getting the things that are necessary for them. And ultimately, the resources in the world, as you just said in the last paragraph, they're there for us. God is giving to us all those things. Those things are all available to us. And we have to think about that because in doing so, we think about, okay, the world is ultimately good. Well, who created the world? God created the world. So I see more good of God and I learn more about God. And I see that the world is ultimately, for the most part, a good place. And every person must also understand the following. Okay? That they should receive rebuke when things don't go so well to them. Okay? So this is the second point. If we're going to summarize our, the entirety of the last bunch of classes, two things. One, the world is ultimately a good world. B, when bad things happen to us, even if we don't know for certain that it's there for a punishment, it's a wise thing to do to say, Maybe it is. And maybe this is God tapping me on the shoulder and saying, maybe you should change something. Maybe there's something that needs to go. Maybe there's something that needs to be added, right? And so those are the two, if you want the two practical takeaways from these last sections, one is to spend time every day when we daven, when we wake up, we go into the streets and to see and to think about the amazing world in doing so we know more about God and we see his righteousness in the world. And B, when bad things happen to us, when bad things happen to us, to, to wonder, maybe we don't know for sure, but it could be that it's a punishment that means that there's room for change, that I should change myself in some way and ask myself, how can I become a better person? Okay? Those are the two things. Yes? I think it's better to think of it as an opportunity. God says, Okay, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I think that that probably resonates more with our modern, uh, our modern, our modern era. But yeah, I... I, I the, Correct, correct. Okay, you're right. We could call it an opportunity, right? And ultimately, ultimately, to think about that, meaning it's not just an opportunity. It's like a, a it's a merit. In other words, 
if we're ultimately believing that God is punishing me, think about that, right? We spoke about this other, the other week. I mentioned, you know, my, 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 when their kids are all like misbehaving, let's say on the street, I'm only rebuking, I'm only telling off my kids. I'm not going to start telling off the neighbor's kids, you know? It's not my problem. Uh, you know, whatever, right? unless they're doing something dangerous. But my point is that like that's someone else's, right? But the fa- if it's true that God is indeed tapping us on the shoulder, then it's not just a responsibility. It means God is, it's not prophecy, but it's about as close as it gets. God is communicating to us and telling us, hey, I believe in you. You could change. I want you to change. Whoa, right? Imagine that. God is speaking to me and telling me that he wants me, because if he didn't care about me, he just wouldn't do anything. He would let me just be like the animals in the world. God doesn't punish them. God doesn't reward them. Just be. But if we're being punished, that means that God is telling us that I think that this could be an impetus for you to become a better person, because I believe you could be a better person. So that'd be the more positive framing. Thank you for that. Yes. Okay. He says, and to finish this pa- passage, well, viralo, the full extent of the question of why bad things happen to righteous people, it's still, that question still stands. After all this analysis, we have not fully addressed this question. He says, we don't have the ability to see all the details of the world. Okay, so, but, so he says, we can't address the question of why bad things happen in the fullest extent because we cannot comprehend the entire world. For each of us individually, we could grapple with it for ourselves. As he said before, you know, we're the only ones who know if we're completely righteous. I imagine, you know, most human beings, we have flaws, we have mistakes, all right? But we can't answer the question in its totality after all we've learned, but we could practically live our lives dealing with these, these realities, right? The, 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 yeah, in other words, we don't, we don't ask so many whys, although we spend time trying to, we, we recognize we don't have all the answers for all the whys, but we ask ourselves, what can I do? How can I go ahead and change, become a better person in these circumstances, right? So we, we ask the why, we know we may not get all the answers for the why, but we're constantly asking what? What can I do? How, you know, in what way can I become a better person? That's the question, that's the response in all these situations, Okay. Ad Khan, we finished the whole section, a good part of the section of suffering. And now he's going to get into a section about Gehenim. Gehenim. He's going to begin, okay, so uh, there's this notion that Judaism, for let's start with the most basics, a notion that Judaism doesn't believe in the purgatory or Gehenim or hell. I don't know where that comes from. Judaism certainly has no shortage of sources that talk about Gehenim, Sheol, and, and numerous terms that describe different forms of punishment in the afterlife, okay? What he's going to be grappling with over here is what is the nature of that punishment, okay? He's going to ask a whole bunch of questions, and then we're going to stop because we're just not going to have time to see the answer, okay? But we'll ask all the questions, and then we'll pause, okay? So we're on that final page, and he says like this, Since we explained, according to our sages, a blessed memory, that the end punishment is what is described as Gehenim. Okay, in English, again, we translate that as hell or purgatory, but it's Gehenim. And the ultimate reward is Olam Haba. So, we have to use the different teachings of our sages to explain what is this judgment called Gehenim? What is it? If I were to ask you right now, describe Gehenim to me. Close your eyes. What's the first image that pops up in your head when you close your eyes and think about Gehenim? Fire, right? Fire? No? Horrible feelings. Okay. 
Anyone have any horned people? No? That? No. Okay. So we're not totally influenced by, you know, Christianity. But, but you know, that, that, those are associations. Big fires, red, right? The color red, you know, the fires or whatever it is. Maybe some emotions, right? So which one is it? What is it? And what does it mean to be in a, right? So that, those, that's, that's what he's going to be addressing to us. Is that accurate? Let's think about it for a second. Like, where, where do those images come from? Nobody knows. So we'll see. Nobody, it's true. Nobody knows fully, but he's going, we're, we're going to walk away with more explanation than I'm, I'm fairly confident than we've ever had before. That's, that's, that's my hope. He's going to analyze numerous sections in the Talmud and Midrashim, which will paint some level of a picture. It's going to be still a little bit out there, but we'll, we'll try our best to understand it. He says, Uma hadavar In what way are we judged there? And when are we judged there? Okay, so those are the questions he wants to ask. What is Gehenim? In what way are we judged? And when are we judged? Okay, now he's going to try to give some answers, which he's going to reject. Vim tomar, and if you want to say, if you want to say that the punishment hits our body, that the punishment is to our physical body, and that's, and that's the punishment of Gehenim, that the punishment of Gehenim is that our body suffers after we die. So he says, that can't be. When a person dies, their body is even domimhu. It's a stone. It's nothing. It's, not, it's a non-sentient, right? There, there's, no, there's no senses. We don't feel anything, obviously. Something that's dead, doesn't, it, a corpse doesn't feel anything, right? Even if you burn the bones, what feeling do you have, right? There's nothing there. The physical, if, if without a soul, when a the, when the person stops breathing, what pain does the body have? Uh, there's no difference between, you know, this stone and that stone. And we know that what happens to the body is no different to one who lived their whole life in decadence and evil and someone who lived their life in righteousness. Their bodies are going, the same decomposition is going to happen to their bodies. And he says, and further, how is it possible to say that this person, the evil person, their body goes to Gehenim? And this person's body is going to be an Olam Haba. But they're both in the same cemetery. So if it's the body, what in the world does that mean? First of all, what kind of pain impacts the body? And B, if they're in this place called Gehenim and a place called Olam Haba, but they're both in the same physical place called the cemetery. So that can't make sense, okay? So it must be that the punishment is for the soul, right? Which is what we assumed, right? Again, he's just spelling out for us the first part. Now here's where it's gonna, his questions are going to get a little stronger. Umahu ha'onesh hamasig osa. He says, what kind of punishment impacts a soul? Our soul is not a body, not a corpse. And it's not limited in space, right? A soul is, our bodies are physical. We live extensively in a physical world, which means we're bound by time and space. A soul is, point to your soul. We can't point to our soul. Our soul is something which is not, somehow has some connection to our body, Right? But ultimately, a soul is abstract. Our soul is not limited to a space. Right? So if it's our soul, then what kind of punishments do you get of, give a soul? Right? If you put a soul in fire, does the soul feel it? Probably not. And where? Where is the soul that it's going to a certain place? There's no limitations to the soul. It's, it's like, again, it's, it's not limited in the physical way. So if, that's the, if it's the soul, then what's a place that's called Gehenim? You're telling me the soul is going to a place called Gehenim. But a soul is not limited to a space. Vini Zonosham is getting judged there. Eina makam tofes. The place can't capture it. Vina o'ev soref. 
and a fire can't burn. Physical pain and space could only impact physical things. It cannot impact something as abstract and spiritual as a soul. So where is Gehenim and how does our soul get impacted there? So what could it be? Now he goes to another option, which he's also going to reject. reject. So what could possibly be? The only punishment could be that the soul is completely cut off, meaning the soul loses its existence. And what that means is as follows. We do believe that animals have some level of a soul. They're alive, they have some elements of a soul. But when an animal dies, according to Jewish tradition, that soul, like, dissipates. Like, 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 uh, like, like gas. It's nothing. It's just, it's gone. Okay, there is no afterlife for animals. That's what we believe. Animals are wonderful, but there is no afterlife for animals. Okay? So, if you want to tell me, he's saying, that that's what happens to the sinner's soul. That after they die, their soul evaporates. That it's no longer there. He said, that's one option. But he says, but that doesn't align with our Torah. Nor does it align with the words of our sages. Rather, these are foreign ideas. Now, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. The Rambam, Maimonides, does seem to say this. The Rambam does seem to say, and again, the Rambam is presumably grappling with the same questions. Right? Let's pause over here. How do we answer these questions? How do you answer these questions? Clearly, Gehenim is not a physical place. For, it's, not, it's not something which is going to impact the body. I think that's a given, right? But it impacts the soul. In what way? Is it a fire? Does a fi- right? If it's a fire, how does, a, does a fire really impact the soul? Probably not. A fire is a physical thing. And what does it mean for there to be a place for this soul? Does that mean that our soul is limited to that space? Also very hard to understand. Right? So it's very hard to understand how you could have pain, which is presumably a physical thing, to a soul, which is the most spiritual thing here on earth. And so what some conclude, and again, for the most part, non-Jewish sources, and this is the philosophical answer, again, keep in mind, in the ancient world, you know, even the philosophers believed in the notion of a soul, okay? but they believed that those who were unworthy, their soul, those who were worthy connected to the higher intellect, that's the terms of Aristotle, that there's afterlife, meaning they connect to the higher intellect, but those who were not worthy, their soul just was done with. Okay? And basically it's over. There's nothing, there's no afterlife for the soul if, they, if they've sinned. Now, the Rambam does seem to say this, and we'll see he's going to treat that because the Rambam got in a lot of trouble for saying this. But let's see what is, let me ask you, what questions do you have on that approach? If we were to take that approach, that basically the suffering of Gehenim, ultimately what it means, no fires, no place. What it means is that a person who is a sinner, their soul gets cut off. They have no afterlife whatsoever. What issues would you have with that approach? Yes. I don't see the soul that way. I think if the soul is eternal, the soul is eternal. Okay, so you're saying you're questioning can a soul even be cut off? Okay. The, sh- the short answer, as we'll see, is the Torah does describe with certain sins a punishment called kares. Kares means to be cut off. Exactly. Yeah. And therefore it does mean that there is this notion that a soul could be extinguished. So even though we think Typically, a soul is eternal. There is certainly a punishment.